0: Hey, how's it going? Great, glad to hear it. My name's Jeremy Ullman. I'm the host of this podcast, Abstract, colon, The Future of Science. So what's this all about? There are thousands upon thousands of graduate students all across the world, and I'm trying to tap into their knowledge they have gained in their research over the last one to seven years. We recorded this in the past, you're listening to it in the present, and you're learning about the future, so... What better time than now to enjoy a quick episode of Abstract. Hope you enjoy. Heart failure is the second leading cause of death in the world. It's not a competition, but the heart's killing it, literally. And our guest today is here to talk to us about a new kind of heart pump that's changing the game. Before we hop into things, here's a quick list of the kind of topics you can expect to hear about on today's episode. We discuss emerging heart pumps in terms of their disruptive and innovative design and geometry, medical devices, from toothbrushes to transplants, side effects, experimentation, and simulation, and the future of heart surgery. Let's go. Andrea Sanchez is a biomedical engineer. This summer, she completed a fully funded master's degree in experimental surgery at McGill University, and she's recently landed a full-time job in the medical device industry at Zimmer Biomet. With a concentration in surgical innovation, her master's project focused on the development and assessment, both in silico and in vitro, of an emerging heart pump. This was for patients with end-stage heart failure. While in graduate school, Andrea earned two research awards, which allowed her to undertake a research fellowship at Yale University in the artificial heart laboratory of Dr. Bond. As part of her bachelor's studies in Mexico, she also had the opportunity to study abroad at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. In her free time, she enjoys cooking, traveling, and is currently learning French. So, bienvenue and welcome to the podcast, Andrea. How is it going?
1: Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. You made it sound very impressive.
0: <laughs> ah, well, you know what? Um, just so the listeners know, you were the one who who did craft your own introduction. That's how we do it here. I like to kind of get a sense of what my guests think about themselves. And, yeah, you know.
1: yeah, yeah, no, for sure. But I feel like uh, for me personally, I just do things and um, think about the short term goals and things. But then when I see the overall, I'm like, wow, like I've achieved something. So that's pretty good. Um, And I'm really happy to be here with you and uh, with the listeners as well. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, well, we are definitely excited to, to hop right into things. First and foremost, as a McGill alumnus, I heard of many different programs. I was not aware of the experimental surgery program. How did you hear about it and what is it all about?
1: Yeah, so I first heard about the surgical innovation program when I was finishing my bachelor in Mexico. I knew the last year of my bachelor that I wanted to pursue a master's degree and that I wanted—I didn't want to do a master in the same field that I did during my bachelor. So my bachelor was in biomed. I didn't want to go directly to mechanical engineering either. So I was like, okay, what about a combination of several things? And that's how I learned about the program at McGill. So the name of the program is Experimental Surgery uh, with a concentration in surgical innovation. So there, there are three concentrations, surgical education, surgical innovation, and the other one is, I think, research statistics. So this program, the surgical innovation program within the experimental surgery one, was taken from Stanford University, a program called Innovation Fellowship, where in the first year of your master's, they make you be active on the hospital. So the goal is to find clinical needs in the hospital where you can provide a prototype, either a medical device or a a medical equipment for either surgical needs, engineers, uh, nurses. And then throughout the year, you develop this prototype with a team. It's a multidisciplinary team. So it's usually one uh, MD student or already a resident,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: engineers, and also people in business. So at the end of this year, you need to present your project to real investors. And then if you want and your team wants, you can continue to building it as, as a startup. So that's the idea of the Surgical Innovation Program. Mm-hmm. My that's project, amazing. Yeah, yeah. No, it was very good. It was a very enriching experience. I feel like it depends a lot on what your team focuses as what's the unmet clinical need, right? So the first two months, you go in the OR, you see several types of surgeries, you go to all areas of the hospital, you can find whichever need you want. And also wherever you see an opportunity to like, okay, you know what? I saw that this nurse is not taking the instrument the right way. What if we make it more ergonomic? What if we change the morphology of the device? Mm-hmm. And then you can go to with the idea and all the business input on that area as well.
0: So as someone who has like literally no knowledge at all of surgery, you walk into an OR and you just start assessing what could be better.
1: Yes, so before you get into the OR, you have take the classes you take. I think the first month you take classes, training how to behave, you need to know what to expect as well. I remember, yeah. <laughs> so we were around, I think we were around 20 MD uh, students yeah. and also we were eight engineers and when we went to the first surgery, one of the engineers fainted. She wasn't expecting <laughs> to see an open brain and blood coming out and everything. So yeah, so you need to prepare mentally. If you're feeling bad, they understand you're not an MD student. You're not aware of the, whatever happens in the OR. ER. So they're very flexible on, okay, you know what? You should go outside or take a breath, do something else, and then come back, right?
0: What was your reaction when you saw an open brain?
1: Uh, That was, uh, I feel well, I saw surgeries before in Mexico as well. So you get a little bit, I don't know, it's something you don't see every day. So whenever I was getting kind of impressed or surprised, and I was feeling my body weights less, so I was just Mm -hmm. like, okay, you know what? I'll just look at the wall. And okay. breathe five, six times and then I'll look again and then focus on my notes and the things I have to do. So I feel like you need to be very focused on what's your goal in the OR. Also not to intervene during the procedure, right? So they have, you have a specific place where you need to stay. Sometimes it's very far from the surgery and you just need to keep an eye as close as you can to where the surgeon is moving his hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw uh, hand surgeries as well. With my supervisor, I saw open-heart surgery because that was my main focus on the master's.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm curious. So if one of the elements of surgery that you're looking at is, like you said, trying to optimize the ergonomics of a particular instrument, was there also this element, whether you focused on it or not, of almost optimizing the flow of people? And like how, how surgeons and their like fellow, you know, nurses were able to actually move around the patient?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. So you can come up, I feel like it's a really open program and it lets your imagination go as far as it can. Mm -hmm. So what I had in mind for my project was like, why why don't we optimize the cleaning and sterilization of instruments that are used in the surgery? So this is usually, usually done in the basement of the hospital and The person in charge just needs to get all the instruments for certain surgeries. And I was like, why don't we just put a code that for this surgery, you need these devices. You have a robot that just scans the code and it can directly pass it to the system, right? So I was really into that idea. Speaking with my team, we bounced other ideas and we found other priorities. So it can be whatever type of idea you have, process, devices, even the administrative system in the hospital, because you go through administration as well to Mm -hmm. see... Uh, The whole flow since the patient comes to the hospital all the way until he leaves after surgery or after a treatment.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at there with like kind of optimizing, like almost like the flow of communication and information flow. Obviously, if I had somebody else in the program who didn't have the same engineering background, I'm sure I'd get a very different kind of answer. But I like the fact that you kind of mentioned this idea of of some, some new machine that can scan and like automate yeah, yeah. Cool. it
1: was to automate the instruments before they get to the OR. And also, I feel like one of the ideas that was coming in different years throughout the program, it was here in Canada, how to optimize the care of the patient and reduce the time waiting time before they get to uh, the emergency room. Right. Because mm-hmm. sometimes one of the things you hear here in Canada is the system is very inefficient. When you get to the hospital, you need to wait a long time. So in 3 years they mentioned this as an unmet clinical need and they were like okay mm-hmm. we know this is a problem but let's just try to expand and think another problem instead of this one right yeah
0: <laughs> yeah cuz that's like a huge problem and instead of tackling it directly you can try and optimize other elements of the of the procedure and hopefully all of them together like so how many students are in this program then is it like a hundred or is it very very small
1: it, so another thing of this program is that it involves several universities so in okay. the program students from Concordia university student from ets and from mcgill are part of the program so they need to apply and then the group is usually around 25 30 people throughout the year and then for the next year other people apply to the program right mm-hmm
0: I'm curious to know what drew you to the heart specifically as your focus. So you were working in the artificial heart lab at Yale, and you're also, like you mentioned in the introduction, focusing on this this emerging heart pump. When you say emerging, I I, I assume you mean like a new technology, right?
1: Yeah, so I say emerging because it's uh, different and disruptive. That's how my supervisor used to call it. It was very different, the geometry, than conventional heart pumps. But the reason why I chose cardiology and cardiac devices was throughout my bachelor, I had the opportunity to oversee all type of devices or from orthopedics, from uh, cardiac, small devices. And I was like, you know what? I feel like the most complicated ones, the most challenging ones are the medical devices class three. So medical devices are divided in three classes. Class one can go from a toothbrush because it just enters your mouth and that's considered <laughs> a class one medical device. Yes. And Class 3 is uh, the it. devices that are in contact with the patient and that have a risk of death on uh, the people. So I was like, you know what? I'll go to the most challenging area. I really like to uh, be ambitious with my goals. And uh, let's just see what it brings in cardiology, right?
0: I love, oh, I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just on cloud nine right now. Just, ima- just like visualizing the juxtaposition between somebody in your program working on the toothbrush. And you're like, no, 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 I'm going to go for the most complicated, disruptively, geometrically manipulated heart pump here. That's awesome. I love that you're like up to the challenge of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So one thing is the surgical innovation program. And apart from that surgical innovation program, you have your master project. So that's where I drew the line. So one thing was the um, cardiac device, which was directly related with my supervisors. I had a mechanical engineer supervisor and a cardiac surgeon, both of them at the same level, and on the other side, the Surgical Innovation Program, which just lasted the first year, the classes.
0: Hey, thanks for popping in to today's episode of Abstract. Up next, we're going to be talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly of heart pumps. So we're going to see how this innovative heart pump we've been hinting at is going to fit into the current state of heart pump technologies. If you've got a heart, I want to hear from you. I want to get that heartiness. I want a heart-to-heart. Reach out at abstractcast at gmail.com. Anything that you got to say, my ears are perked and my heart is open. Thanks so much. Now back to the episode. So you mentioned that you're working on this disruptive new heart pump. I'm assuming maybe some part of this is like top secret. You can't really share the blueprints, but just as as much as you can, I'd love to know how it is that you are changing the game when it comes to the geometry, for example, of this new heart pump. Yeah. What can you tell us?
1: Yeah. So before you start with an innovation in the medical device industry, you need to have intellectual property of your device, and most probably you will need to patent it, right? Because if okay. somebody else hears about your idea and they patent it, then they get the rights if the device goes to the market, right? So that's mm-hmm. one of the things they teach you as well in the surgical innovation program. Before I started my master, the heart pump was already patented by my supervisor and the cardiac surgeon as well, both of them. So when I came here, we can talk about it. There's no problem. You can ch- yep. search the patent and it, it already has an owner, right? If you want to call it that way.
0: Sure. I'm actually going to ask that, that you send me the link to the patent and I'm going to put it in the description of this episode so people can check it out if yeah, you don't mind. Yeah, sure,
1: sure, sure. Yeah, Yeah, no problem. Uh, So the difference, the novelty of the pump was that I'm just going to give you a very simple overview of what a heart pump is. A Please. heart pump is a device that supports the heart in parallel to provide flow to the body. So mm-hmm. a patient with heart failure is somebody that their heart is not pumping enough blood to their extremities, to their organs, to their body. So what this pump does is that it provides the cardiac output that the patient needs as support, and then it distributes it as a whole through the body. The difference that this device has compared with the ones in the market right now is that the devices on the market have two configurations. They can be centrifugal, which means that the flow enters perpendicular to the rotating part of the pump. so You have our rotating component and Mm -hmm. that component is enclosed in a casing, we call it. So the casing has two holes, always. One hole is on one side and the other one is on top. That's a centrifugal configuration. The other pump is an axial pump configuration. These devices' heart pumps are also called LVATs, left ventricular assist devices. And the axial configuration flows where you have the central component that rotates, has blades. You have the casing on the outer part, and the flow goes from the same direction where it enters. It exits, but on the other side.
0: Basically flowing straight through versus the the previous one you spoke about. It's kind of like 90-degree angle shift. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. Cool. So these are the normal configurations uh, in the market. So instead of having the central part that rotates, why don't we have the blades on the outer casing and we make the outer casing rotate? This allow more blood flow through the middle of the device and this reduces the speed at which the device rotates.
0: Oh because the the radius of your of your rotating blades are getting larger.
1: Yes, you have more cross-sectional area for the blood instead of the central component that rotates. Um, so okay. normally, these devices rotate at high speeds. High speeds, I, I'm telling you, between five uh, 5,000 RPMs to 20,000 RPMs. What? Yeah, and the problem...
0: 5,000 to 20,000 RPMs.
1: Yes, yes. And the problem with these speeds is that the blood gets damaged and it gets ruptured, mm. the red blood cells. So, well, that was the unmet clinical need in our case. Unmet clinical need is that, yes, the patient has circulatory support. They can have the cardiac output that they need. But in the long term, the blood gets hemolysis, thrombosis, and other side effects problems that affect later on. So that was the need. And we said, okay, without the central component, we can rotate at lower speeds because we have more space for the blood to flow through the device. And this is the innovation. Maybe in the long term, the patient is not going to have the side effects that they have right now.
0: Because you're going to preserve the blood cells.
1: Exactly. Exactly. This
0: is, this is, you know, this is not the first time that I've heard somebody kind of open, open the door to this massive issue in their field that it seems like nobody really knows about. Like no, Nobody's up in arms in the general population about the fact that typical heart pumps that exist now are just destroying your blood.
1: Yeah, because usually uh, the patients that have heart failure, well, I don't know if uh, you're aware of this, but heart failure is the second leading case of that in the world. Mm -hmm. So these patients are in a very severe stage where their life expectancy is unfortunately between 10 to 15 years. So with these Mm -hmm. devices, you're like, okay, I can support your life to live a little bit longer, 20 years, 15 years. What the current trend is going and where technology is going is okay, why don't we think outside the box and why don't we go beyond those 15 years and make a device that could last longer, that could have less damage to the patient, and that could have less, um, they call it readmissions to the patient when they need to do a surgery again to take off the device that is damaged, clogged, mm-hmm. and put another one. So this is uh, more traumatic for the patient, right? Yeah. So, yep, that's what my supervisors were aiming for. Like, okay, let's make this a long-lasting thing. And also, without having the central component, we can approach also also minimally invasive surgery. Because you can, if you make the blades in a material that is tissue type material, soft material, you can collapse the pump and place it to the patient throughout a minimally invasive approach.
0: And then kind of like expand the pump once it's in the body? Correct, correct. That's really making me think of how we deploy like satellites. We shoot them up in like a a very small capsule and then they basically unfold.
1: Yep, yep, yep. Usually surgeons are very innovative the way they think, the way they have the ideas, but they need some support from the engineering side to tell them, oh, this can be (laughs) done, this Mm -hmm. cannot be done. So where can we handle both things and go in the middle, right, to work together? So that's what I really wanted on my program. I really wanted to have the clinical input on what's needed and also the engineering side to know what's feasible to do.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, this is, this is such a cool project. So you mentioned that your main focus is development and assessment of this heart pump. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was kind of this little caveat, which is that you're working in silico and in vitro. You want to tell us a bit about what those two methods are and how they differ, how you kind of bring them together?
1: Yeah, sure. So... Whenever you enter into the medical device industry, it takes some time to go to the market. And there are several tests you need to make to the device to make sure it's reliable and that it can be used in the real world. So Mm -hmm. the approach in the clinical field that medical device class three follow is you start with a design, then you go to in vitro setting or in silico, depending on what you want to do. In vitro refers when you do experiments physically in refers when you do simulations through a software, such oh. as engineers that do uh, computational dynamic simulations. You enter values into the software. You need to make sure that they are accurate to what this cardiac output, the pressures that they have in the circulatory system. And then you get an overview of the simulation results, and then you compare them with the in vitro setting. After that stage, you can either pass to cadaver testing, which is, Your device, you print it in real materials, biocompatible materials. You implant it into a cadaver, a human cadaver. And then from a a cadaver, it goes to animal testing. So this device goes into an animal, live animal. You make the surgery. After animal testing, it goes to clinical trials uh, to people. You get the approval from FDA. They say, okay, you know what? It's been, I don't know, five, 10 years. You've already proved it. You have substantial evidence that this device works. So now you have approve, an approval to sell the device. So my stage, and because we just got the approval on the IP, intellectual property on the patent was, okay, now make prototypes of the pump, test which configuration of the pump works best, how many blades does it need to provide the cardiac output that a patient needs for, with uh, 50% heart failure, which is two to three liters per minute of blood that needs to be provided to the patient,
0: as opposed to what what does the uh, heart normally pump?
1: So when you're at rest, uh, that a normal cardiac output is five liters per minute, five to six yeah. liters per minute, when mm-hmm. you exercise your your heart can pump up to 25 liters per minute. Wow. Okay. So usually these patients they are low in mobility they cannot yeah. exercise in that much because otherwise they will get more repercussions on their on their system.:
0: So even with uh, even with let's say current heart pumps, Would you generally tell these patients that they cannot really exercise uh, up to a certain intensity?
1: They can. They can. I mean, there's an assessment, the clinical assessment from the surgeon, from the nurses as well to say, okay, you know what? This device is reliable enough. You can, I mean, if it has been approved in the market, they have their instructions for use. They tell Mm -hmm. you up to which level they can go. And also there's a follow-up. I think it's a year, two years, three years. They need to follow up the patient, right? Because after the surgery, they need to. gather a lot of input information on, okay, how what's the state of the patient? Is it working enough? Mm -hmm. Do we need to change the device? So all this assessment is done prior to the surgery. You need to know what's the activity level of the patient, um, the requirements that they need. And then based on that, you choose the device, you put it in the patient, and then you assess post-surgery their state.
0: Mm -hmm. I did kind of like cut you off a little bit. You were saying how, let's say in the case of 50% heart failure, you would need the pump to give... Two to three liters, right?
1: Yeah, that's okay. at rest. So because we're at early stages of development, we were like, okay, let's just target first to arrest the stage of a patient. Later on, you can simulate all type of activity levels on a patient and then see how, you're, how you need to improve your device to reach mm-hmm. 20 liters per minute.
0: And now a word from our sponsors. Yeah, we don't have any sponsors yet, so if you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, Abstract, colon, The Future of Science, whether you are a university or research institute or any organization looking to support the show, please reach out to us over email at abstractcast at gmail.com. If you don't have the means to support us financially and you're just a dedicated listener, drop us a line at the same email. We'd be so happy to hear from you and get some of your feedback on the podcast so far that's all for me for now let's head back to the episode you said that the the process of getting your product to market could be something like 10 years so you've been working on this now for a little while but what's your long-term goal here are you you in it to win it with this device here
1: yeah so (laughs) the thing here is that i joined the project because it was my master's project right and you're not intending to do your master project in 10 years right so my supervisors are the owners of this idea. They're the ones in charge of giving life to this project and invest more outside academia to bring it to a real device. But for my personal goal was, okay, I want to learn the most as I can and the most accurate to real life problems. And then from there, I can decide what I want to do. I got offer as well to do a PhD opportunity, continue the project. But my goal since the beginning was, okay, I want to do my master's and then I want to jump into industry to see how things are done there as well. Mm -hmm.
0: You're currently working at Zimmer Biomed.
1: Yeah, correct.
0: Are you still working on this heart pump?
1: No, 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 no. So this project was only for my master's. I finished my master's, uh, very good experience. I learned a lot. And then I, if you want to call it that way, I cut the lace with the project and I started from zero uh, on the orthopedic industry. So Zimmer okay. Biomet is focused on orthopedics, nothing related to soft tissue and cardiac uh, devices. <laughs> I changed from heart to bones.
0: Yeah, well, because you were saying earlier that you really want to like tackle the really hard stuff, and so you're working on this like innovative heart pump. You're like, yeah, orthopedics will be fine.
1: No, actually, uh, both of them are pretty challenging. Whenever when I applied to the program, surgical innovation, experimental surgery, I did my application for both programs because both of them were of my interest. I ended up getting into cardiac, uh, but this interest in orthopedic was always there, and I'm not telling you it's easier. Mm -hmm. Both of them have their own challenges, uh, different approaches, different things you need to consider, Uh, but I'm really enjoying it right now. Last week, I had my first business trip, and I worked with cadavers, real cadavers. I touched the bodies and made some measurements on them. So it's yeah. uh, very amazing the opportunities you get when you, when you really want to be in this field and to be able to understand the clinical perspective, engineering limitations, and also the, the possibilities that you can do to make patient lives better, right? Mm-hmm.
0: So are there specific, like, is there a single project that you're working on now at your current job or are you kind of floating around Working on lots of different things?
1: No. So I'm working on a team specifically. On that part, I don't know how much I can disclose. Okay. But we're working on a robotic application for hip surgery. Mm-hmm. And right now, we're still in development stage. Hopefully, we make some good progress, uh, get a lot of data, and move forward to bringing the device to the market.
0: Awesome. So I just want to take us back to the discussion about the heart pump. I'm, I'm still kind of fascinated with this idea of the fact that right now there are people who have heart pumps in their bodies and these pumps are destroying their blood. So you did mention uh, that people who have heart failure, this is mainly because the, the heart is not pumping the blood efficiently enough to get the blood to the extremities.
1: Uh, to My the extremities, question, to the organs, yes.
0: Exactly. My question is, are there different kinds of... I don't necessarily want to call it heart failure, but failures of the cardiovascular system that are more to do with things happening at the extremities of the system. So I'm talking in the capillaries or in the arteries, as opposed to the heart itself.
1: Yeah. So you have different types of problems. Uh, they can be called. Well, there are many types of problems. Yeah. The the ones in the low uh, small vessels, they can get clogged by fat. And then Mm -hmm. you need to put a stent or you need to put a graft if it's a bigger basal. You also have aneurysms, which is an expansion on the basal. And then you need to cut both parts and put a graft in the middle. There are many types of problems. But a heart pump, it's a device that goes into the heart itself. It gets Mm -hmm. connected between the aorta and the left ventricle. There are also other applications where you put it on the right ventricle. So for those who are not very involved in this field, there are two hearts. You, we have two hearts. One that is the right heart, that is uh, the one uh, with, we call it blue blood, and the other one is the left heart that has a red blood, oxygenated blood. So you can have uh, heart failure on the right side, on the left side, on both sides. Uh, right mm-hmm. now, there are also heart pumps that are being used for the whole heart. They're mm-hmm. working right now and it's still in research and, okay, let's cut all the vessels that are around the heart. Let's take the heart and put a fake one and see how it works. You know, the innovation, the technology is going all the way there where you can have a complete artificial heart uh, to support lives. So that's pretty amazing.
0: I hope at least one of those companies is called Heart Official.
1: Heart Official? <laughs> I'm not sure. No, I never heard that name.
0: If it's not, then I'm going to get myself in the industry Yeah, right no,
1: that, that's very good. That's a really good marketing idea. <laughs>
0: That's all I've got. I know nothing about the engineering. I just got the marketing <laughs> going. <laughs> That's cool. So in general, would you say that the closer to the heart that the problems are, the more difficult it is to solve them?
1: I think everything has its own complications. I'm not a surgeon. I cannot tell you which are the worst problems, which are the lower risk problems. But yeah. I can tell you that closer to the heart, you have the, ha- the biggest ves- vessels, the bigger, biggest arteries, the biggest veins. So if you get a problem there, it's affecting the whole system, right? Whereas if you get something in the leg, you can easily just change, put a stent, put a graft, and that's it. You can fix it easier. And also most of the minimally uh, invasive surgeries right now are being used in extremities or uh, cavities that are easier to reach than the heart. Because for the heart, you need to either break the chest, uh, open, complete entirely, Stop the heart. You need to have a machine that is simulating the heart while the patient is in anesthesia. So everything has its own complications. Yeah, I, I'm not the right to tell you which one is the worst uh, sure. uh, clinical um, problem on the heart.
0: Not a problem. I only expect you to tell me as much as you're comfortable saying in terms of what your what your current knowledge is. So, as somebody who's who's been in the field for a, a few years now, where do you see this field going in the next 10 to 15 years let's say in terms of the technologies what do you think we'll be able to do feasibly in the next 15 years let's say
1: yeah so i feel like one of the things that in 15 years we will be able to reach is to have a minimally invasive surgery for heart pumps Mm -hmm. and also devices that are fully biocompatible with the body they that devices that don't create side effects as infections, devices that do not that bring less trauma for the blood and that can make the life expectancy of patients instead of 10 to 15 years 20 to 25 at least so that's what I, I hope and I really see things moving forward
0: that's great those sound like modest yet achievable and also incredible goals to actually attain so that's really nice to hear I appreciate that I have one more question for you You can interpret this as if it's related to your research or just a general question. There are a thousand people listening to you right now. What do you tell them?
1: Oh, man, I heard this one in the previous podcast, um, and I (laughs) didn't have time to think about it. But I think um, I'm not going to go research related. I'll just go to personal goals, Mm -hmm. and I'll say to people, uh, I'm a very ambitious person. I'll tell you that whenever I want to do something, I'll uh, go for it. Even, though, even if I have the door closed, I'm not going to get limited by those things. So I'll try to knock on the door and try to get there as much as I can. So what I'm trying to say is we all have the no if we don't try. But if mm-hmm. you try, you can open that door. Don't limit yourself by your insecurities. Go ahead for whatever you want to do and things are going to move forward.
0: That's awesome. That reminds me of the title of a book by uh, a man named Ryan Holiday. The book is called The Obstacle is the Way.
1: Okay, I never heard of it. Maybe I'll put it in my list.
0: (laughs) The Obstacle is the Way, you know? It's like, if you want to achieve something, taking the road less traveled, taking the difficult path, is often the best way to lead to the most fulfilling outcomes. And it seems like you are... That you are doing that so this is awesome this has been really great having you on the show thank you for sharing your knowledge with myself and the listeners listeners i hope you enjoyed this as much as i did so i hope to stay <laughs> yeah. in contact
1: no thank you very much for inviting me i really appreciate it the opportunity
0: no problem take care thank you thanks for listening if you liked what you heard you can check us out at abstract cast on instagram if you have any feedback please feel free to leave a comment on the post for the current or any previous episode that you might have listened to. Or if you're a graduate student and you would like to be on the podcast yourself, you can drop us a line at abstractcast at gmail.com. This podcast will be released weekly on Sundays and is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much everywhere else you're going to find podcasts. So feel free to check us out around the internet. Until then, take it easy.